Hello and welcome to the 361 Podcast Season 10, Episode 4. My name's Ben Smith from Wireless Worker. I'm Ray Blumford from the All About Sites. And I'm Ewan from Mobile Industry Review. This week we take a look at smartwatches in the real world. We've rounded up and tested two wristfuls of the most popular devices. And we've had a chance to do some future gazing. Thanks to our friends from TigerMobiles.com, we've got a fantastic prize if you sign up for our exciting new newsletter. Welcome back, chaps. How are you doing? Rocking. Very well, thank you, Ben. Good. And you? Good. So it's a lovely day. You're, you're very energetic this week. Yep. And I'm ready to roll. Fair enough. Hit uh, me. Well, indeed. So before we go to the main topic, sort of what we used to call things of the week, you got why, any news why, for us? When did we stop that? I don't know. The planning and indeed the meeting minutes aren't rigorous enough for me to look back and recall. I think we just got lazy. I think you just dropped it. Just dropped it. Anyway, anything interesting happened to yes, you? Yes, I've got Google Photos. No, anything interesting happened to you? I wanted to chat to you about Google Photos. What you got anything interesting happened to you? <sighs> okay. Go on, tell us about Google Photos. Well, I, I'd probably rather hear about his starring role in Sports Day. Uh, yeah, I did the dad's race, which I should not have done. And did you win? Uh, listener, you may recall I do lots of different things, and one of the things I do is contract, which means you get paid by the day. Last Sports Day, and first ever, I didn't do the dad's race. I just said, sorry, her, my insurance you know, would be invalidated if I run. You know, It's probably quite accurate if I injure myself. So this one, I thought, oh, screw it, I will actually do it. And uh, little Freddie was, I think, very impressed. I was, I lined up. And uh, I, I then did, a, I think, a fairly good job of keeping up with all the slim people. And I then tripped up and I twisted my knee. As I was falling, I thought, oh, day ray, day ray, day ray, <laughs> bang. And uh, resolved never to do that again. But would you like to hear sports day? Do you want to hear that? Do we have any choice? Yes, you do have a choice. But can you detect where I fall over? Right, here we are. I'm going to speed it on a bit. This really is a low, isn't right. it, on the podcast? Right, so get ready. Right, he's at the back. That was yeah. a deliberate dive. That was not. Well, that was when dark. I said I wanted to hear about sports there, I didn't really expect it to take two and a half minutes. You flipping asked. I wanted to chat about Google Photos. Go on, tell us about Google Photos. Right, which is a revelation, right? Because I've swapped Google Photos. It's taken, so I haven't done it fully yet because I've got hundreds of gigs of this stuff. I've got a Google Apps account now. Well, I had a Google Apps account. I've upgraded it to Unlimited. Uh, so I've got two petabytes. Not not technically unlimited. This is true. It's true. I had to look up petabyte though. Fair enough. Mm. And the difference between Photos and Picture Life is the fact that Photos runs super, super, super fast. They really have done a very good job of it. I'm really, really impressed. And I, I strongly recommend have a look at it. Fair enough. Rolf Blanford, could you tell us something tedious about your life in less than two and a half minutes? Oh, you asked. I, you absolutely asked. Sorry. I was just going to go straight into photos. I did say interesting. I was going to try and keep it vaguely on topic. Um, have you dug up any I, holes? I like buying paper maps because I think they're the best way to understand a new area and to kind of explore. For listeners who aren't watching in colour, I am currently clasping my head in my hands as we head down another rabbit hole. Go on, Rolf. Explain to us how paper maps relate to mobile. Well, the latest OS Maps, which is the National Mapping Agency here in the UK. Borden's survey. Exactly. Now have a thing on the front of their map that says, download this map onto your mobile phone. And so when you buy a paper map, you also get a license to have that same map on your phone in the Ordnance Survey Maps app. I think this is actually a fantastic way of bundling things together. It makes complete sense, and I wish they'd done it before. And getting the OS maps on your phone, you can obviously use the GPS sensor, you can record tracks, you can download other people's recommended walking routes. So I think I'm clearly going to have to do some recommended concrete walks. Recommended concrete walks. A curated list available to buy now from Amazon.co.uk. I subscribe to that. 
And it's interesting, you know, the OS have a get a map subscription. It's about £25 a year. And you can get one to 25,000, one to 50,000 maps. And that will cover the whole of the UK. You can get those same maps on your phone using that, or you can buy the paper maps one at a time. And compared to what it costs to get those digital maps onto your phone or onto your computer a few years ago, where you were paying thousands of pounds to get the whole of the UK at one to 25,000, it's fantastic. But it's just a good example of bundling together a physical and a digital product. All right, I'm going to grudgingly accept that that's quite good and quite mobile. If you're not in the UK and thinking, well, why wouldn't you just use Google Maps? These are proper maps, aren't they? They, they have all the, the landscape features and everything, so they're really popular with walkers and, and hill climbers and sports What's people. the thing you know, that they put in during the war? You know, stuff they put in during... Don't look at me like that. The stuff they put in during the war, the big concrete things. Uh, I think you're talking about the trig points. There you go. But they weren't during the war. But anyway, let's not get into that detail. But Ben's right. They have contours and they have footpaths. Do they have trig they have, points? And they do have the trig points as Thank well. You. It's a blue triangle with a dot in the middle. And actually, they're still all around the UK. It's one of the things I kind of shouldn't really admit to, but quite like collecting trig points when I'm on holiday. Oh, dear. We really have deviated. It's a bit like uh, Monroe bagging, isn't it? It is, yeah. Yeah. What about you, Ben? Have you been up to anything interesting? Well, I have, and I thought I was just going to tell you about an app that I've been Ooh, using. No, sorry. Have you got anything interesting going on? What happened in your life? <laughs> exactly. Don't want to hear about your app, well, the one you prepared. Can you tell us something interesting, oh, please? No one cares about our lives. Just get to, get to recommending apps. So I've been using Trip Mode, which is an app for OS X. Trip Mode. Trip Mode. And you yeah. can go to tripmode.ch, uh, which is the website. It's a really cool little app, and what it does is it detects when you're using Wi-Fi from a MiFi or from your smartphone or something like that. So typically cases where you're bandwidth or speed constrained, and it automatically turns off a bunch of services for apps, things like Dropbox syncing and things like that, that you wouldn't necessarily want to work um, over a 3G connection where you might be limited. Or for me, where I've got unlimited data, I just don't want to use it because I need to use the speed for something else. And it's got some automatic profiles that it's applied, but then every time an app that is blocked starts to try and access the internet, it flashes red and you can turn it on or off. So you can build your own profile and it remembers which networks it thinks are mobile data, Wi-Fi points or not. And it's really, really handy. And for ages, I have been manually switching things on and off. But there's a bunch of stuff on OS X that you can't turn off, like you know iCloud syncing or photo syncing and things like that. So it's really handy. Seven pounds, I think, if you buy it in the UK, a 15-day trial. And it's just really elegant. And it's one of those things that it works really well. And it's got nice graphics that shows you which apps you're using. And because you can turn the data on and off by app, it's far better than some of the hacks that you might have used before, like firewalls and things like that to block certain types of traffic. That's fantastic. And great for rural broadband as well when you don't have a great connection. And particularly for the stuff that's uploading data, because that quite often munges up the connection for everybody else. Yeah, I mean, you don't have to use it just on mobile access points. You can turn it on at any time, but it jumps in and turns itself on automatically if you want it to. Smart. So really like that. And how's your um, life? My life, oh, it's very good. Thank you very much. Did you go out for dinner yesterday? No. Day before? No. Okay. Grant, so what are we talking about We're this week, on. Rafe Blanford? We are talking about what's a place for smartwatches. And we're going to talk about everything smartwatch. Some of the things we think is good, some of the things we not so good and maybe try and come to a conclusion that will educate and inform our lovely listeners hello both of you now for clarity before we move on Ray Flanford I can't help noticing that whilst I'm wearing my Apple watch which I enjoy very much Your um, very expensive Apple watch it's fairly expensive but it's just because I'm better than you I can't help noticing that Rafe Blanford's forearms are covered in an array of wearable devices which would make the average shop assistant blush. So 
Talk us through them quickly. What are you wearing this? <laughs> what are you wearing this week, Rafe Blanford? On my left wrist, I'm wearing a lovely Pebble Time along with a Fitbit Flex. On my right wrist, I'm wearing a Microsoft Band and an Apple Watch. You really have got the whole gamut there, haven't you? Um, mm. I do feel like a complete and utter muppet. Well, there's a reason for that, Rafe Blanford. Yes. Um, so the <laughs> Fitbit Flex is a is a you've had that for ages, right? A sports tracker, and it's got no interface on it at all. It's got little buttons. And little it's, lights it's got four fly. LED lights that yeah. light up to give you an indicator of how many steps you've taken. It's actually the one I've been wearing for about a year now. And how many you done? Um, it's well over a big number. That's yeah. really educational. There you go. It's and in the order of four hundred thousand. Blimey! That's I, I was just asking how many you've done today, but you've uh, you've interpreted. Okay, that's impressive. And how does that sync? to other things. So that's through Bluetooth LEL, Bluetooth Smart, I should say, mm. and that connects to Android, to iPhone, or to Windows Phone. Okay, and then the Microsoft Band is the next one up. That, to me, is, looks like it's sort of part smartwatch, part yeah, It doesn't look as comfortable. Band. How is it? It's not as comfortable, I would say. I mean, this is kind of a product that I think it's fair to say Microsoft bought out as kind of something to learn with a bit of a prototype, and they've treated it as such in terms of the way they've marketed and mm. positioned it. And you're absolutely right. It's kind of a halfway house. It has a screen on it, but it's a, a long, thin one. It doesn't have quite the same complexity, I would say, as a smartwatch. And actually, for that reason, it's perhaps my favorite of the products because it just presents the stuff I need to know at a glance. So it very much depends on what you're trying to use it for. But I can see missed calls. I can see emails. I can do quick replies. I can get quick status information. And it will also do all the exercise tracking. And actually, it's the one with the most sensors in it. It's got 10 sensors. How do you do replies? You can do them in a couple of ways. But I would say the Microsoft band, although you can bring up a full keyboard and do some replies that way. Or on the band. You can. And there's also voice recognition. It's really about alerting you to something if you're then going to take an action that's more than just yes or no. You know, it does do quick replies on text messages, as you know, the Apple Watch and some of the other ones do. But it's not a big input device. Obviously, it works with Windows Phone, but does it work with other smartphone platforms? It does. It works with Android and iOS. It's actually one of the few wearables that works universally. And of course, your um, fitness tracker works with apps on both Android and iPhone. It it does, and actually most of the fitness trackers do tend to be that. The band's also interesting because it goes into Microsoft Health, which is their big kind of health platform play, and that can actually be broadcast back to your doctor if they've got the compatibility. And there is a whole bit of server architecture that allows you to kind of do data analysis much more than you typically get in the smartphone app. And Microsoft Health Vault, and you'll correct me if I'm getting the name wrong, but that was one of the first attempts by a big systems provider to create this kind of mechanism to send health data back to hospitals and to tie into the medical system, wasn't it? That's absolutely right. And this is uh, compatible with that. And if you like, Microsoft Health is just the consumer front end of that. And of course, if you find yourself with a health fault on your back end, you can get a doctor to look at that for you. You can, yes. Okay. The only thing he's missing is an Android one. Well, I was going to come to that actually in a minute. Yeah, because Rafe, I can see a fraction of forearm that's not covered in screens. But let's just quickly walk through because the first smartwatch you've got on your left hand there is a pebble by the looks of things. It is, and it's a new pebble time, which is kind of the, I think, re-engineered interface. The thing I think that's interesting about it is a colour e-ink screen and the battery life means it lasts about five days on a single charge. I got this last week and I haven't actually charged it yet. Now the battery is now down to about 10%. But the fact it's done actually six days now off a single charge is really great because Mm -hmm. the pain point of having to recharge all of these things every day actually got to the point where I stopped using things because of that. And the same applies to the Fitbit. 
the Pebble Time does notifications and it does the kind of what's coming up on your day. And so just to be clear, you get about a week's worth of battery, even including the Bluetooth, to do push notifications, you know, of what presumably email and phone mm. calls and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, right? absolutely. And so the message, now I have actually cut down the number of notifications I got deliberately. It's maybe something we'll talk about later, not getting overwhelmed by them. And I haven't been using it really, really heavily because it's just a quick buzz. I can take a glance and see what I want. The Pebble Time, the reason it's called Time, they've introduced this new UI, which is basically you can scroll back and forth, up and down to see what you have been doing more to the point what you'll be doing in the future. So it's a very easy way to understand what your next appointment is. And then you get notifications laid over the top of that. And there's various apps that you can install to add additional functionality for exercise tracking. And one of the things about the kind of the Pebble Time ecosystem, there's quite a lot of tie-ins with some fairly esoteric activities. So you can use it for swim tracking, for example. And in that sense, I've been impressed by it because I'm sacrificing functionality and utility to have something that just fits into my life better in terms of not having to charge it. And it actually does the basics, telling the time and notifications and kind of that upcoming calendars and your email really well. And so I almost prefer it to the Apple Watch, but they are very different oh, products. Sacrilege. And I will say, I don't think the design of the Pebble Time is all that great. Well, I was going to say that to me, mm. sorry, Rafe, is the symbion of the Nokia smartphone. It's priced it's to look that way, though. Affordable, mm. to put it kindly, but it doesn't look elegant. Remind me what type of screen it is it's again? It's an e-ink colour screen. So it's on all the time, which is clearly you know a good thing, but it's not exactly vibrant or crisp, is it? No, it's not. And that's kind of the play off the sacrifice that you're making here. The one thing I will say is it's a lot lighter than the typical smartwatch, and so you don't notice you're wearing it, whereas you can kind of never forget that you're wearing an Apple Watch or one of the Android Wear mm. devices. And that's actually the thing that puts me off smartwatches most of all as an individual you know, it's just I don't want a big weighty thing on my wrist. And some people will not agree with that. But for me, that is actually a fairly important factor. Okay, so let's get to the, the, the fourth of your four watches. The Apple Watch, and it's the ladies' edition, as you so kindly put it, <laughs> last season. This is the 38mm sports with a baby blue band. Mm. The thing about the Apple Watch that has annoyed me is the performance in terms of opening apps. It's just slow. Mm. If you're using it for glance and for notifications and for time, fine although the fact that you kind of have to wave your wrist about sometimes to get the screen to turn on so you can actually read the time i do find irritating but the app side of the story is just very weak for me at the moment and this is partly a general issue with smartwatches no one's really figured out what is really important but if you're having to wait a couple of seconds for it to do something that's an immediate failure point because it's going to be easy to pull my smartphone out of the pocket and start using that but I do think it's arguably the most elegant in terms of design and kind of just that as an object. And it certainly attracts the most attention. People are always asking about it when you're wearing it. Yes, yeah, so I, people were asking about mine in the office the other day and, and I was in a training course just sitting next to a complete stranger but just chatting while we were waiting for the... the, the, ask the why tutor. you paid double the amount for the same product? No, he said actually that he thought that it looked way nicer in real life than in the photos. He said he was an Android user and he wouldn't have bought one, but he was a you know kind of tech nerd. You know, he liked reading about stuff and mm. knowing about products. I mean, I suppose it's the same as us, really. You know, yeah. kind of even if you don't want to buy it, you're fascinated by it. And he said, oh, you know, actually in the flesh, it looks like a really desirable thing, even if you don't actually want the product itself. But I have to echo what you're saying, Rafe. My experience is that apps are a write-off. I often find that it takes so long for the apps to start up that the screen is actually timed out 
and turn back off again before they've started. But having said that, the notifications and the quick glances yeah, the and the notifications are, are really slick and really elegant. Accessing Siri as well, very nice. And accessing yeah. Siri. So, you know, the weekend I was, you yeah. know, a little boy who, mm-hmm. you know, wasn't very well this weekend. So we were... You know, How we much cowpaw can I give to a... Even just simple things like I was holding him, he was a bit upset. So I was walking around the kitchen trying to calm him down and my wife rang, she was out shopping and asked a, a question and I was able to just talk to her on my wrist. So very it very quickly fits into everyday yeah. life. It yeah. doesn't feel like a novelty product, but the apps do. You know, and as soon as you're into that apps menu, you know, you just think in the time it's taken me to click and scroll around, I should have just picked up my phone. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that sense of refinement is also elsewhere in the product. Something like the the vibrate function on it, it's just nicer than that which you get on other smartwatches. It, it was odd. I mean, people talk about being tapped on the wrist, and I was thinking, well, that's just marketing nonsense. But it actually, it does feel different, and it's even to com- contrast it with the sense of feeling of your phone vibrating in your pocket. You can very quickly tell how many times it's tapped or something like that. So I walked here this evening, getting directions with my phone in my pocket. Because one tap means turn right, multiple taps means turn left. And it just worked. And and you don't need to get anything out of your pocket at all. Could you live without your Apple Watch? Because the thing I found about all of these devices is I'd actually be quite happy if I wasn't wearing them, whereas I wouldn't want to be without my smartphone. Not the amount of money you've paid. No, I I could. You've got to wear it. I could live without it, but it improves the quality of my day by having it on. And let's be clear, you know, yes, the extra that you pay for the watch versus the, the the watch sport is mostly for the materials and for the cosmetic piece. Only, not mostly. Uh, well, some of it is about the difference in materials and the uh, the durability and those sorts of things because, you know, there'll be a higher resale value and those sorts of things in the future. There's a prestige factor as well, but there's no functional difference. Indeed, there. indeed. Okay, so with that, those are the four that Rafe Lanford is currently sporting. We haven't talked about Android Wear, so just quickly, Android Wear is much closer to the Apple Watch, isn't it? But it's actually got, already has native apps running on it, and it also has a similar sort of Google Now style sort of glanceable kind of interface. It does. It kind of plays up those glance just actually like the Apple Watch does. But I would say there seems to be more of a, a close relationship with Android. It's more of a companion device where Apple, at least in the apps, is trying to be a bit more standalone and certainly looking forward it's going that way. I think one of the ways that's reflected is actually in the kind of the handover capabilities. On the Android Wear devices, there's a very obvious and standard way of handing over from the watch app to the smartphone app. Now, the same thing does exist on Apple, but it's actually done through the lock screen and an icon, and it's kind of less obvious and easy to use. And so I think the Android Wear devices are in some ways more mature. They've just been out on the market a little bit longer. Google's gone through several iterations of them, but in some ways, I don't think they quite have that same polish as the Apple they experience. Just, I know they you, don't, you've they worn don't. a Moto 360, which is perhaps no, one the, of the slower LG. performing ones. I had the LG watch, the first generation, and it was it was good. It was all right, but there were quite a lot of shortcomings that you don't have with the Apple Watch. It is a, a very, very nice, refined experience there. I was impressed at the concept, but then, of course, LG you know, feels like they just chucked it out. Certainly the quality with those devices is, is questionable. I saw my first OGG watch the other day and uh, closer you get, the more mm. the more plastic it looks. So the point of having this episode and revisiting watches so quickly was that we've now had the opportunity to have a bit of a play with them. Last time we, yes. we talked about them, they were still very much theory. And I mean, Rafe Blanford now, he's lit up like a Christmas tree. If he waves <laughs> his arms around, he could probably land a plane. To I sent him a lot of text messages just now. I, I expect any minute he's going to vibrate his way around the room. 
The key thing is actually, you know, now we've tried them, now that we've actually yeah. got our hands on products that we can use day in, day out, have we actually got any sense of what's actually making them useful? Quickly, let's talk about sports tracking because neither of us, let's be honest, are well. Let's let's. I, I would call it types. exercise tracking rather exercise than sports tracking. Okay. I'm not wearing my Apple Watch at the minute because I've had to give it to the testers, which is really quite annoying. So I am missing it, which is interesting. Right, I am missing having that facility. I really like the heart rate. I really like the step counter. I really like the reminders. It is a little bit annoying. Stand up, stand up, but I still subscribe to that. So all of those features in one device, and it's a watch. Actually, it's quite useful to me, and it looks good. I'm quite happy with that. I think it's a valuable experience, just that set of function. And when you start adding in the other features, I think it becomes a rather useful package, so I am missing it. That's the one that everybody seems to push. I mean, Apple have even included sports and, and exercise tracking, as, as Jim points out, in the in, It's really in the, elegant. It's lovely how that little dial thing works. You know? Yes, yeah, so, so I think they've got a great UX, but it seems that exercise tracking has been elevated above many other use cases, because if you're not into exercise... Many of these devices have a load of sensors and a load of apps and maybe even kind of customizations that give you loads of information about activity tracking. But what other stuff, you know, reaches that level? Because I'm surprised that people, let's say in a more business setting or travelers or, you know, those sorts of people aren't getting the same level of service. It's an interesting one. That, and you know, the obvious thing to say about that exercise tracking is you can get a band that's a lot cheaper that does the same kind of thing, especially when you're doing any kind of advanced analysis, you're going to kind of be looking at the smartphone app anyway. And so they're great as data collection points with sensors, but what else is there? We've talked about notification and glances, and I think that's really important. And I would say it comes down to the five-second rule. It's can you do something on the watch mm. that takes five seconds, which means it's actually more convenient than pulling your phone out your pocket and so it's all those things we've been talking about particularly if you manage which notifications you get through to your phone so i'm using the modular watch face on app on apple watch which if you're not familiar with it put your calendar right in the center of the screen and i love that because my business day is so driven by meeting or telephone calls those kinds of things that are all in you're my lucky diary you get that because i don't get that because you're in a secure environment yeah. in a bank the good mobile messaging doesn't talk to it. And it's interesting, we, we talked about this in a previous episode, WWGC, the most interesting thing they announced for the future of the watch was third-party complications, which is the ability to put interesting bits of data, very small bits, in the centre of the watch. And it does come back to that kind of quick glance. Yeah. And actually glances, which you know the third-party apps can do, I think are amongst the most useful features because it's just that ability to, especially if you're careful about which ones you choose, you know, be it the weather forecast or city mapper telling you about delays on yeah. various tube lines or things would, like that. So that's, I would love that because the first use case for me is how long until my next meeting? How long have I got until I've got to do something? Like have I got time to sit down and do some work or make a phone call or grab a sandwich? And, and that's what Google Now on the Android Wear watches is really very good indeed yeah. if you're set up in that system. And uh, to be fair, not everyone will be. But that ability to say, you need to go and get to your next meeting now, I think is very useful. It's doing the thinking for you, which it has to do when you're on such a constrained device. I think the, the travel alerts or the, uh, are great with Google now, but I also just like the ability to see when is my next appointment. I don't, even if I don't have to travel for it, you know, will I open my email for five minutes or will I go and start to do a document review that needs an hour or something like that? And that, that's why I like the pebble time because you just press the down button and you'll see your next meeting and then the meeting after that. And so it's kind of a time-based UI, a timeline that you can very quickly scroll through. It's that immediate access to information. But uh, I mean, I think notification glances are well understood. I think the other one that's interesting is identity. And it's because, again, it's something that happens 
with a certain amount of immediacy. You and I know you use your Apple Watch to do a boarding pass. What I was did, that yeah. like? Uh, it was very. I was slightly nervous because you know I wondered would it work. So BA, I don't think it had to do anything because they were using Passbook. So BA put the boarding pass in, in right. your Passbook and then add that. I, I deliberately add it into Passbook as an entry. So that then appears in your phone. Popped up as I was approaching the gate. I used the phone to kind of check in and drop my bag, and then I used the watch to actually board the plane. I confess I took the watch off. You see, now that is not a good experience. Well, no, it? it's not, but it's because my wrist and the watch is a little bit too high. To go under the scanner? Yeah. Yeah. I had my phone as backup because of a queue of people behind me. And I wondered about that during WWDC when Apple talked about using the Apple Pay to travel on Transport for London, so mm. the tube network, the underground system in, in London. I thought, oh, that's interesting. I wonder how many people are going to find it comfortable to manoeuvre their wrist mm. if, they, if they're using a wearable device. Well, thinking about the practicalities, what side is the uh, Oyster scanner on in most of the tube gates? And which the, the wrist right, and right hand people, side. And most people wear, wear a watch on their left-hand side. As do I. It could slow people down. And actually, one of the reasons that Transport for London originally came up with a, effectively a proprietary you know, contactless payment system was that the transaction times needed to be in the you know, hundreds of milliseconds So as you go through the gates, because at peak time, people are moving through the gates absolutely continuously. So I could see that might slow things down. But interestingly, Rafe, I mean, we keep going back to the Apple Watch. It's the one that sort of has the, some of these things already deployed on. Actually, none of the other platforms, as far as I'm aware, have an identity solution as it were built in do they i mean certainly pebble time there's no nfc that you know it's not got a screen that would be able to present a, a qr code or a aztec code or any of those other sort of scannable codes both the pebble time and the microsoft smartband have apps that you can use to add barcodes to it but it doesn't happen in quite such a, a fluid way actually mm-hmm. i think the android wear devices do support that yeah, and there are actually sure do, yeah. several apps that allow you to even do things like unlocking doors and it does you're quite right depend on the hardware that's on the phone i think some of the ones that gets interesting is using it in the uh, security where you control the infrastructure so potentially it's using to unlock your own front door or maybe in an office where you're behind secure doors and things like that but where identity sort of extends into really is payment mm-hmm. And now, surely this is the holy grail, isn't it? I think so, because it's really about contactless. And people who haven't used contactless don't really get that it's convenient. And it's the ability to just do it straight off your wrist. The one thing I would say about all of this is it doesn't actually have to be a smartwatch. It can just be a band or something, because it's basically completely frictionless. The idea is to minimize the interaction to the minimal possible extent. And all you're really doing is holding it over a NFC receiver and it's doing the necessary for you now apple i think has got the most seamless interaction they've got it branded very well people are talking about apple pay if it's something amazing actually it's apple's typical trick of kind of wrapping up something that already exists making the partnership agreements which it's able to do so because it's got so much clout and scale but credit to them for doing that we're going to see android pay come in we'll see other equivalents but part of me sort of goes apple don't deserve as much credit as they're getting until they start doing something more interesting. So I might call it kind of mobile payments plus. When they start bringing in the loyalty and other bits of data that you potentially could do with a smartwatch, that then gets a lot more interesting. They deserve more credit for that. But it is the thing that's going to drive kind of public consciousness, I think, because it just makes it easy. Because, you and the traditional payment argument is if I have a contactless credit card or debit card, why would I bother with a mobile device? And 
the the counterpoint to that is then you can make much smaller transactions because they're much quicker. You can just quickly swipe and pay for something that's Mobile. not yeah, pay for something that's not worth you the effort of taking your wallet out of your pocket. Well, sometimes you don't have your wallet with you. Yeah. A good example for me, and this is just in my environment, uh, when I'm walking around down to the canteen, I don't take my wallet with me. I don't need to either because on the back of my phone I've got my I always carry my phone I have to take my phone with me right even if it's just to check my email but on the back of it I've got my Barclays Go tag here my little sticker that um, is contactless and that means I can just walk up and pay that way it's really really efficient but it does bring up an interesting point this I mean I think having it on your wrist is very convenient but will it have the scale I mean we're last year 4 million smartwatches sold this year the estimates were for about 20 million you compare that against smartphones which is something in the region of 1.2 billion scale effects are going to start to come into to play here. More people are going to pay using their phone than they will using a watch or some yes. wearable device for the immediately foreseeable future. I don't disagree with you. I think it's fantastically convenient. But is it really that inconvenient to pull a, a phone out if it is that one step seamless, which up until this point, to be fair, mobile payment hasn't been. And just thinking about it more broadly, you know, we're forcing contactless into the digital environment. Just sort of think about when mobile payments really take off, actually your phone can automatically check you into a, a venue, say a coffee shop. Mm-hmm. You go up and you just say your name and they'll recognize your picture. It's all done. So it's actually zero interaction. You shouldn't really even have to scan anything at yeah, all. Yeah, that would be ideal. Now, it could do that with the watch as well. That could be the kind of identity point, but it doesn't have to be an actual physical interaction that you, you do. And so sometimes it's easy to get carried away with you know, these payments on a wearable when actually there may be a, a better solution. I think we're lucky in so much as living and working in London, we're likely to see where it is economic to deploy this stuff for payments because contactless has taken off in London in a way that even in my hometown, an hour outside London, you see far fewer contactless terminals. You know, if you go into a sandwich shop or certainly one of the big chains in London, you know, quite a lot of people will be paying. I, I went to an independent bar in another city in the UK a few weeks ago and, you know, it wasn't even a particularly nice bar and all of the payments behind the bar were contactless, yeah. you know, you indiv- even for individual drinks in the kind of place that a year or two ago I would have been really surprised if they'd taken any kind of non-cash payment at all, you know, sort of in an independent place that might have struggled but to what get. is annoying is if you have to mess around with shrapnel with cash. Yes. Yeah, that, that's where the, the contactless, it doesn't matter how you're doing it, but contact is really effective. And if you've got it on your phone or your watch, I think people will use it. It suddenly struck me the other day, there was a sort of a security element of every so often you have that kind of panic. Oh God, where's my wallet? Oh, I've left my phone, you know, mm-hmm. like, have I dropped it? Have I left it in the car or whatever? And then the reason I'm so keen on payments from wearables is you just, it's physically attached to me. You know, yes. I always have it. I'm always reassured. And I'm almost more excited about payments because of that, because I'll just walk out of the house. And so long as I've kind of got dressed, because putting my watch on is part of getting dressed. You've got a method of payment. Wherever you I've are. got a method yeah, of payment yeah. and I feel reassured. You know, it's always yeah. like the reassurance that my phone gives me now because that's my get out of jail free card. Whatever yes. happens, I can probably use my phone to solve the problem. Anyway, look, we're running really, really tight for time. So I want to jump forward and just to quickly sort of say, well, what next? Because the great thing is that what we spend most of our time talking about is kind of the things that it might be useful for and the things that we see where we see the potential. Because right now, I don't think that they are much more than sort of toys for enthusiasts or perhaps novelties for those of us who kind of you know like enjoy a bit of future gazing. But mm. you and Apple Watch 2, WWDC, showed off native apps. Surely that's going to be big improvement. <laughs> that, for that should platform. really help with your view and your points. I totally agree with you. It's a very annoying 
when the apps take ages to load discs because they're coming off the phone, basically. And where's, and where's Android Wear going, Rafe? Because it's, it's actually, you know, grudgingly, you have to accept Android Wear is probably a bit ahead in that regard. It's got native apps now, hasn't it? I think so, although, I mean, arguably there's a philosophical difference between Android and Apple in the way they approach these things with Google putting more into the cloud. And I think it's going to be much more of a companion device, whereas Apple is heading down the road of a standalone device. They kind of said that at WWDC, that, you know, this the Apple Watch will be usable without your phone in time. Do you, do you think that... Android devices, though, risk becoming sort of useless when you get cut off from a signal that, you know, without the cloud connection. Yeah, I think that is a danger. Yeah, I feel that with my LG. They they need to think about the hybrid nature of it. But that is actually Google's problem more generally, I think, actually, as a platform, because that's where their investment is in one sense. That's where they see the intelligence being, whereas Apple is much more using kind of that cloud, that connected bit to enable smart apps and still trying to do as much locally as possible. And you see it in the way they talk about data and security as well. So, you know, going forward, I think part of the problem with all of this is actually people don't really know, haven't worked out what's going to work best. I think having all those sensors on your wrist enables you to do interesting things for health. And Apple talked a little bit about that. But I think some caution is required because, as you said, it's a novelty at the moment isn't really going to scale. And so in some ways, you said this to me before we did the recording, smartwatches at the moment are like the early days of smartphones. They're not very mature, mm. haven't really worked out what's worked well from the value proposition is a bit questionable. I don't think I use those words. Perhaps not, but you did say something that really, really caught my attention. And just as smartphones aren't really phones, smartwatches aren't really watches. And so look outside that watch envelope to see what's going to be most interesting in the future, in my view. I did say that, and that sounds particularly wise. It, it just did sound even very 10 wise. Later. So Ewan, for me, mm. the thing I'm most looking forward to next, and I think the thing that will make me start to recommend smartwatches to other people who aren't buying them just for the novelty of having a smartwatch, is these smart notifications doesn't matter whether it's a, a Pebble or an Android or, or, or an Apple Watch. Just when apps that link up to those smart devices offer you some kind of quick way to interact with a notification. And for me, we use WhatsApp loads in our family. It's you know the main yes. way that everybody messages. And you know just as soon as you see a WhatsApp notification, I want to just sort of say yes or smiley face or thank you or nice picture or whatever, and I immediately miss the ability to sort of acknowledge. You know because we we tend to use it to share lots of family photos and stuff, and I suddenly realise that you know WhatsApp is a second class citizen to iMessage, for example, on the Apple Watch. I use Dark Sky as well, which yes. is a, a weather forecasting. It gives really nice, re- great, really, yeah. really nice notifications. But I'd love to be able to say, "Don't tell me about rain for the rest of the day." You know, yeah, I'm, right. I'm, I'm in yeah. the office all day. Don't remind me, Nick. You know, but I, I am generally interested if it's going to rain on my walk to the station. Mm. So this brings me kind of to the second concluding point that I had: that actually they're only going to be useful once they start converging everything together. And again, it's just like the early days of smartphones. Now, that's partly about functionality in those kind of apps, but it's also about some of the broader things that it could potentially bring in. But I think together with that, you are going to need the infrastructure in the wider world. And that means companies willing to accept them. We were talking about placing things under the scanner, you know, the point of sale terminals supporting the contactless. And that to me feels like there's still a big ask to go there simply because there aren't that many of them out in the wild. And so some of the kind of the utopian visions that we see with smartwatches when you get people talking about them, particularly in the sales context, just a little bit of caution and scepticism I think is required. But it only takes a couple of 
features to get really useful. And actually, WhatsApp would be one for me. I tried out WeChat on the Apple Watch. It works very well, apart from the kind of the performance, the lag issues we alluded to earlier. But get that right, and suddenly I go, yeah, actually, I can see why I'd want to carry this around on my wrist just for that family contact. Number one problem for me with the Apple Watch is WhatsApp. The lack of... I just assumed they'd have it. You, so you get the notifications, like yeah, the useless, notifications. useless, because I want to do as, exactly as you say, so yeah. that is a massive problem for me in the minute. All right. So for me, the instinct, the desire to be able to just use it on my watch means that I've sort of got past, oh, the small screen and the interface and all that kind of stuff, and I'm immediately yeah. to, oh, I can see that, yes, you know, yes, yeah. no, whatever. So for me, that means I think that watches, I agree with Rafe, won't ever become you know, the primary device. You'll always have a large segment of an audience that don't have access to one, but I can now see why watches have a future. I do think they will become mainstream consumer devices. So what about you guys? If you were big companies who made apps, as indeed both of you are, in fact, although not, not individually, would you be investing in making watch apps right now, Ewan? Yes. Yes and yes, awesome. uh, we are. And uh, I think probably the, the, there's no surprise. It is, it's a test. We don't know. But the, the, the consumers, I think, will come on the journey. But it's, um, it, it's good enough that you're, that you're willing to do the yeah. experiment. Yeah, yeah. Rafe? Like you and yes, but I don't think the business case is there because of the numbers at the moment. And I don't actually think there's, you know, short term, there's not a lot of immediate interest in doing it for the mass market. But it's worth learning about it learning. now That's what you're doing so it for, that yeah. you're ahead of your competitors when you do do it. And absolutely, you know, any way that you can have an additional contact point, a bit more conversation with your customer is a good thing because remind them of your existence, make their life easier. It's just about making sure you get that balance right between sort of overwhelming them or, or putting them in control of the, the communication you have with them. And I don't think the wearables piece especially matters, but the other day, obviously my iPhone had sort of, you know, downloaded an update to an app. My utility, my power, my electricity and gas supplier, what her app had updated, it's a very simple one that allows you to submit meter readings and, uh, and check your account, had updated. All of a sudden, a new glance appeared on my Apple hey. Watch and completely unprompted, all of a sudden, my watch was telling me what my estimated power bill was going to be that month based on my current usage. Just bang, out of the air. And, you know, it's not something I lie awake at night wishing I could glance at on my wrist, but the relatively small amount of time that in invested in doing that just made me think oh yeah that's a company that's investigating ways to make mm. my life a bit easier and yeah. even if i never use it again makes me think much more favorably of them as a supplier and the same with airlines and banks and utilities oh. and retailers Can I give you a final point that is my wife got one i think within two weeks of them being announced and i thought she'd give it give it back to me very very quickly she's still using it. it must be about six or seven weeks now it's integrated into her life now there you go. So the, uh, She's not looking back. She loves it. You and McLeod test case of Ewan's yeah. wife. Yeah. Pass. Okay, guys, um, time to wrap up. Really quickly before we go, we haven't mentioned it this week. If you would like to win the smartphone that you think is the best on the market, yes. you need to get in contact with us. So you can go to 361podcast.com and use any of the contact options there, including telephoning us and leaving well, us a voicemail. Message, that's right. Yeah, and leaving us a voicemail. You won't, we won't talk to you, obviously. Yeah, you. Uh, but the key thing is you need to sign up for our new newsletter and all those details are on 361podcast.com. You can also reach us at 361podcast. And we've got to say thanks to the amazing guys from Tiger Mobiles. They're a really good price comparison website where you can see all the best smartphones and tariffs on the market 
in the UK. And uh, they've also got a bunch of exclusive tariffs as well. So that if you're thinking of buying a smartphone, especially on contract, although they've got SIM only deals and things on there as well, it's definitely worth checking out. And what they've said is that they're really interested to know what our listeners think is the best smartphone on the market today. And if you tell us, then uh, one lucky listener who's also subscribed to our newsletter will win that smartphone, they said. So thank you to tigermobiles.com. Now, I'm going to brief you just secretly. We have got another prize, which I'm going to tell you about Mm. next week. So there's another prize that we're going to add to this pool. So another exciting sponsor, come on board. But I'll tell you about that next episode. So... That's enough from us. Please get in touch. Let us know what you think. Always really grateful to hear your feedback. You can leave a comment wherever you hear this, or as I say, you can reach us on Twitter at 361podcast, or I think we are on the Facebooks, but I mean, who even uses that? Thank you very much, gents. Love you. Okay, so this week, editorial and production assistance was from Emma Krauss, uh, research assistance from Roland Banks, recording venue generously provided by Dishless LBI. Thank you very much to the guys there. And of course, 361 Podcast is edited and mixed by Mark Cotton, who you can reach at audiowrangler.co.uk and comes recommended. Right, we will be back next week. Bye-bye. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you can comment, subscribe, and catch up with previous episodes at 361podcast.com. If you're an iTunes user, we'd be jolly grateful for a five-star review. There's a link and pictures of how to rate the show at 361podcast.com slash rate. Each review makes it lots easier for new listeners to find us. Thank you.